Hello and welcome to the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast. This is a podcast to help you find peace with food and overcome disordered eating. And I'm Harriet Frew, aka the Eating Disorder Therapist. And I'm so excited to share with you all kinds of stories, tips, information and guest interviews to help you on your journey in finding peace with food. So thank you so much for listening today. Now today I have a guest on the show and I'm talking with Julia Trahane, who is an anorexia, orthorexia and compulsive exercise recovery coach who has overcome 40 years gripped by eating disorders. Julia is a podcast host, eating disorder coach, food freedom advocate and anti-diet culture campaigner. Julia uses her wealth of scientific understanding applied with a huge amount of love to help people all around the world to break free from eating disorders and love themselves once more. Having survived 40 years of anorexia, orthorexia and exercise addiction, Julia has a deep understanding of how it feels to be gripped by food prison, how the mind processes information in an eating disorder and how to rewire your thoughts to break free and return to freedom forever. I'm really looking forward to speaking with Julia today to hear all about her recovery journey and how she's been able to heal following such a long time within the prison of eating disorders. I'm interested to understand the pivotal point that allowed change for Julia and how she maintains emotional and physical health today. I'm also keen to understand and explore the coaching work that she does with her clients. This is going to be a really inspiring episode. Let's get to the conversation. If you enjoy this podcast, you might wish to join my bite-sized eating disorder therapy membership. This is a place to get access to additional podcast content, short videos, and longer educational videos all about eating disorder recovery. You'll gain insights into the psychology of eating disorders and learn skills and strategies to support you on your journey. It's not a substitute for professional therapy, but a fantastic tool to support you along the way. Do check out the link in the show notes, only £5 a month. Hope to see you there. Hi, Julia. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. So, Julia, could I get you firstly to introduce yourself to the listeners, please? Sure. Yeah. My name's Julia Trahane. I'm an eating disorder recovery coach and I'm fully recovered from anorexia, orthorexia and exercise addiction that I lived with for about 40 years. Oh no, gosh, that's an incredibly long time, isn't it, Julia? And very inspiring that you're here today out the other side. I have to say that. Thank you. Julia, so can I get you to tell us a little bit about your story, really, and sort of like, you know, perhaps how things started off and then developed over the course of your journey? Yes, sure. It started actually when I was incredibly young. One of my earliest memories of being is of being about four years old. And there was another little girl that was in our road who was also called Julia. And we used to play together and we were the same age. But she was called Little Julia and I was called Big Julia. And although I actually wasn't any bigger than the average child, I was just a week older than her. But I remember hating being called Big Julia and feeling it was wrong. My dad was quite a traditional chap and he made lots of comments and stuff on body size and all sorts of things, really. He was quite a judgmental and critical man. And so I grew up with my mum constantly being on a diet, my dad constantly criticising and just making things really difficult. And I never felt I was good enough because he was such a critical man. I think that was just the way he was and the way he'd learned to be. And I don't think he meant harm. I don't think he knew any different. But it was just 
a really difficult time growing up and I learned very quickly that it was just safer to try and remain hidden and then I wouldn't be in trouble and I wouldn't be criticised. And by the time I was about nine, I started to realise that staying small helped me stay hidden. And I also realised that it also helped numb my emotions because that was another thing I was never allowed to show was any emotion. My dad just couldn't handle it. And so realising that not eating kept me small and helped me not feel any emotions felt like I was absolutely winning. It felt absolutely amazing. And I was finally doing something I was good at. And that kind of went on by the age of about 11. I was really getting quite deep into the depths of anorexia. But I'd also learned to be incredibly manipulative and how to lie really, really well to my family and how to hide it and disguise it and deny it to everybody as well as myself a lot of the time. So I wore countless layers and just stayed out of the way. My parents had started to go through quite a messy divorce as well. So they were very preoccupied with their own issues. I think by the time I was about 15, school had enough of my excuses about why I needed to keep wearing jogging bottoms and a tracksuit and stuff for PE. And I couldn't get away with it anymore. And they forced me to put my PE kit on, which obviously highlighted how underweight I was. And they then called my family and everything just went, am I allowed to swear on this podcast? Yes, you can. (laughs) Okay. Everything just absolutely went to shit. A complete shitstorm. Kind of got weight restored forcibly. Not my choice. I didn't want to because the anorexia was my friend and it really helped me in my eyes. So I did get weight restored, but nothing in my head. I wasn't wasn't better at all. I left home at 16. And things actually got a lot better after that. And I felt a lot safer and felt a lot easier. And I met my husband when I was very young. I was only 18. And things were really good for a few years. I was still really funny about food and still restricted and still under it. But I wasn't really sick. And then I had my first child and he had anaphylaxis to egg, which was a life-threatening allergy. And so I started being really, really, really funny about what I cooked and what we ate as a family and making sure no egg was anywhere. And this kind of became an obsession. And I started to have to have everything cooked from scratch and it had to all be organic and it had to be nothing could be processed. Nothing could be prepared by anybody else. I had to do it all myself. And I just went like way, way further than I needed to. And in my eyes... I convinced myself that was all to protect my son and to make sure that nothing could harm him. And so that's where the sort of orthorexia came in. And then I had another son and then another one. (laughs) And by the time I had my third son, I was really back into restriction. I'd started exercise after my second son and that had become quite obsessive as well. And I had to do it every day, several times a day. I didn't feel like I had any option But I convinced myself that was for my health and I was being a really healthy mum. And when I had my third child, I had him first thing, well, nine o'clock in the morning. I was home by lunchtime, went out for a run, the school run for the other two, came back, made this dinner that was super, super healthy and all made from scratch. And then I took the dogs out for another run in the evening. And I was back in my jeans within three days. And everyone was like, oh, my God, you're amazing. Look at you back in your jeans and stuff. And I didn't give my body a second to rest after having a baby. 
which was insane. When I look back, that was so disordered and so mean to my body. And things just kind of carried on like that in this weird existence that wasn't really living, where every day I worked out what the minimum I could eat, how what I could get away with not eating, excuses I could tell people as to why I was having such a small amount, how much exercise I could fit in in the day. And also perfectionism came into it hugely. I, I had to be as put together as I could possibly be. And my house had to be totally clean and tidy. And if my husband came home and left a keys out on the side, I'd get so stressed about it. And even other crazy things like TV volume had to be on an even number or a multiple of five. And I counted all my steps and tracked all my movements and all my calories. And this just went on day after day after day for years. And I also struggled quite a lot socially. I had friends and they're incredible people. But when I was with them, I always felt like I wasn't quite with them. And I was always paranoid that when I wasn't with them, they were talking about me and I became very paranoid about all sorts of things because I was so anxious all the time and so worried about upsetting people. So I just did everything I could to please them all the time. It just was like this never ending cycle until halfway through COVID, my dad died and all those suppressed emotions and stuff started to come back up to the surface because I'd never processed them and never dealt with them and never even learned how. And they were sort of like spiraling. And I was like, this feels horrendous. I don't know how to cope with this. I'm going to restrict more. That helps. So I did. And it didn't help. So I restricted more and it didn't help. And so I just basically stopped eating completely. And just I was doing like eight or nine hours exercise every day. And things started to go downhill really, really fast then, as you can probably imagine. And I got kicked out of my gym, which just was the worst thing in the world to me because I did CrossFit and my coach was like, you're not safe to train. You're passing out. You're collapsing. This is not safe. You can't be here. And I totally respect what he did now. And it's completely the right decision, 100% for me and for the gym. But, oh, it was like my world had fallen apart because it was one of the things that I was clinging on to. And I started like passing out when I was walking the dogs and stuff. And I was just getting sicker and sicker. My ability to hide it and convince my family that I was fine was getting less and less and less. And I didn't know what to do. And I was just, I thought I was going mad. And I was terrified that I was going to be sectioned. Because I used to work in psychiatric nursing. So it was like one of my worst fears to be sectioned. And I didn't know what to do. So I just thought, well, I'm just going to end this all because I can't cope. I can't manage. I can't see any future. And I got everything together to take my life because I really couldn't see any other way out. And I was just about to do it when some part of me, and I think it's the part that is a mum, said that you can't do this to your children. You can't leave them this legacy. And my love for them was stronger than my despair. So I didn't do it. And I reached out for help. And yeah, met an incredible coach who helped me so, so much. Did the helter-skelter journey of recovery and feel so passionately about raising awareness and helping other women that just feel like they've been in it too long or they've just been stuck for too long or it's too late for them to recover. Because it's not. If I can do it after 40 years, anyone can do it. Yeah, well, gosh, thank you so much for sharing your story. And yeah, I hadn't really appreciated actually how recently 
you had just sort of come out of all of this. Yeah, really incredible. And what a roller coaster. And I just think how incredibly brave you are so shortly after COVID and when you've been through all this being out in the world and supporting people and talking about this so openly, you know, I can imagine that can't be that easy. It was really hard to begin with. So, so hard. But I felt, well, I feel so passionately about it because there are so many women in a similar situation to what I was in that just don't think that they have any other options. And it's just so important to me to raise awareness. Okay. So, Julia, is it okay if I just pick up on a few things, some of the things that you've talked about? Of course. Yeah. So I'm very sort of struck by sort of going back right to those sort of very early years. It was a lot for you, wasn't it, about kind of staying small, numbing your emotions, perhaps not being seen, causing trouble for other people, you know, not wanting to cause trouble for other people. There was a little bit of kind of body image sort of there's a body image part in there you know you talk about the big Julia the small Julia but it sounds like it was about other things more so is that right very much so yes it was really about not being seen Mm. just being small enough to hide yeah sure and then obviously like you got out of home and then that change of environment sounds like that was quite helpful for you and you met your husband but obviously then there was the, sort of the trigger perhaps with your first child and the understandable anxiety, I guess, about managing the egg or not the egg and, you know, all of that. But I'm wondering as well, once you were sort of, there was a lot of anxiety there, once you were sort of really in that kind of habit and ritual and pattern of following all the rules and the ED behaviours, I'm guessing there wasn't much perhaps room or headspace to step back and even think about what you were doing you're probably almost just sort of getting through the day is that right so when you were sort of you know a busy mum sort of back in that you know when your children were younger and you were sort of very much following the ED rules yeah a lot of it was busy mum rushing around getting through the day and I created so much more work for myself with all the food rules and stuff and because I wouldn't allow my family to have anything processed or anything either it was all Under the guise of health, I convinced myself that what I was doing was for the good of everybody. Yeah. And do you think back then, it sounds like you had very sort of noble intentions and you probably just genuinely thought you were doing the right thing. Is that right? You know, would have you ever questioned that maybe it was a little bit obsessive? I think the obsession just kind of creeps in, doesn't it, under the radar and you don't really quite realise that it's happening. Mm. So I don't think I really questioned it at the time, no. Mm, sure. And then when you sort of very sadly lost your dad in COVID, it sounds like the emotions, I guess, around that loss, but then around all the other emotions that have been suppressed, they sort of suddenly started coming out of the woodwork. And did that feel like something that you couldn't really control? It was something that was sort of just happening to you? Completely. Yeah. I'd never, I hadn't processed emotion. I hadn't cried since I was about six or seven years old. Because I wasn't allowed as a child, I was told off, I was told if you want to cry, I'll give you something to cry about. And so that stopped me crying pretty quick. I suppose because of my upbringing, I'd always thought that showing any emotion was a weakness. And so I'd literally just buried everything and not processed anything, not felt any emotions. And so when they started coming up, And they wouldn't not be felt. They were pretty insistent emotions that like, this is the time you've got to let us go. I literally had no idea what to do. I just thought I was going completely insane. 
I really feel for you because I'm imagining like when you've suppressed emotion for that long, you're going to be experiencing almost a tidal wave of overwhelm, which would probably felt absolutely terrifying, didn't it, when um, you started to sort of feel those emotions for the first time? That's an incredibly good description of what I was feeling. Yes, the tidal wave of overwhelm fits it very, very well. Mm, right. So I think as well, it kind of it makes a lot of sense to me listening to this that maybe you would have felt perhaps you might have thought about taking drastic measures because it was just I would imagine just so unbearable and you would have felt so inequipped I guess to deal with everything that you were having to deal with you know I can just really imagine just how desperate you must have felt well I can't really imagine actually but I have some sense I guess of what that might have been like you know just with dealing with so much and not feeling equipped with any of the skills. Yeah it was so much and all my old coping mechanisms of restriction weren't making any difference. They just weren't working. So, of course, the more I restricted, the more my brain wasn't actually able, able to function or think logically. It's just this like complete spiral of wildness going on in my head. And I just thought I was unraveling totally. Sure. Did you ever experience your suppressed emotion through other kind of physical symptoms in the body? You know, sort of thinking like for some people, they might experience that sort of through chronic fatigue or fibromyalgia or or in any other kind of physical symptom. But is that something that you ever experienced? Not that I was aware of through my life, but I've always been incredibly tense, like really, really tense muscles and when I've had massages and stuff, people are like, can you just relax? And I'm like, I am relaxed. But no, I just had this constant tension. I was completely tense all the time, but nothing else particularly. I used to sort of get incredibly dizzy and pass out a lot. But I think that's probably more to do with restriction and blood pressure than anything else. Mm, sure, and it makes sense. So thankfully, you're, gosh, Julie, that you're here today and <laughs> the universe or something stepped in and or your love for your children, or whatever it was, you know, thank goodness you're still here today, and you're now able to do this incredible work. But I guess like reaching out to a coach as well, for someone like yourself, where you felt that, you know, perhaps it was a weakness to express emotion, etc, etc. I guess that was like hugely challenging to do that in a very sort of brave step at the time. Yes, I, I did go to the doctor. And I did get referred to eating disorder services, who I'm actually still on the waiting list for, bizarrely, because they still haven't had an initial assessment, which is a long time later. So I probably need to contact them and change that. I know that they're overwhelmed. So there wasn't really any help available there. I did see a therapist a couple of times, but again, she wasn't eating disorder specialist at all. And she gave me some advice that wasn't really very helpful. And then I found Victoria Kleinsman, who is an incredible coach. And she taught me so, so much that I just didn't even realize was possible, such as learning how to love yourself, because I'd never known that that was even a possibility. I always thought that was arrogance. I didn't know that people could love themselves. I thought everyone hated themselves. So before we launch into this week's episode, you might be interested to know about our event coming up, face-to-face event, Inspiring Prevention of Eating Disorders and Body Image Issues in London, September the 30th, Camden, London, 2023. 
Really hope you'll be able to make it. At the moment, it's just going to be a face-to-face event. However, if there is a lot of demand, we might be doing it online as well. So I have brought together many different professionals in the field who are passionate about the prevention of eating disorders and body image issues. So we're going to have there, um, obviously myself, and Kath Cunahan, psychotherapy mum on Instagram, talking about the early years as foundation for good mental well-being. We're going to have the binge eating therapist there, Sarah Dosange, talking about the hidden eating disorders, 85% of people not being underweight with an eating disorder. We've got Dr. Kaz Bomba with diagnosis, early intervention and support, you know, really being able to support medical professionals, teachers and more. George Mycock is going to be there of my own mind, talking about how eating disorder services can be improved for greater access for men and those with muscularity orientated issues. We've got Victoria Kleinsman coming to talk about body image and radical self-love. We have Rose White talking about intuitive eating principles. The eating disorder nutritionist Anne Richardson talking all about is sugar the enemy, healthy week in schools, reframing the whole way we help our children develop a healthy relationship with food. We have Jane Hartley talking about a developing a healthy relationship with exercise and movement and many more people. So I really hope you'll be able to make it. The link is in the show notes. It's $149.99, which is an absolute bargain for all these different speakers in one day. You get all your food and refreshments included. And it's a face-to-face event. It's going to be so amazing because it just feels like so long since we've been able to kind of properly like really get together in these kind of spaces. So much of it has been on Zoom and Zoom is amazing. It has been a credible thing for my business, but I'm so looking forward to just getting everyone in one space and to really have that sort of collective energy and consciousness and inspiration and transformation to really think about how we can improve things for going forward for the future. So hope to see you there. Link is in the show notes. Okay, I didn't realise you worked with Victoria. I love Victoria. Yeah. Oh, she's incredible. <laughs> That's really wonderful to hear. So in your work as well, sort of in recovery, I guess there's so many pieces, aren't there, to be looking at, you know, the self-love, the nutrition, body image, dealing with emotions. But where was the starting point for you? Because I guess we're all a bit different in our recovery journeys. Yeah, well, initially, I thought that I could just hand my problem over and somebody else would fix it, which turned out to be very untrue. Because I felt like I had nothing to lose. I'd had to stop work because I was a sports massage therapist, which is really physical. And so I wasn't physically able to do that. I'd been kicked out my gym. And I'd been to the very depths of despair. So I just literally went all in and pretty much made recovery my full-time job and just did every single thing that was suggested to me and read every single book I could get my hands on, listened to every podcast and just went almost obsessively, I suppose pretty obsessively into it and started to learn all about where it was coming from, what it was serving me for, why I had the eating disorder in the first place, what was I not facing, what was I not dealing with and then started to unpick all the different aspects of the reasons why I I had the eating disorder in the first place and working on each one the actual eating was difficult very difficult that I can't even count the number of times I just sat there feeling horrendously panicked tears streaming down my face because by this time I'd learned to cry again (laughs) trying to eat a bowl of porridge but with every bite was another step towards recovery 
I love it that you said as well that you went really all in because I think (laughs) it is kind of necessary in recovery isn't it I guess there's various degrees of going all in but I think recovery isn't something we can kind of just do on the side for like an hour a week no (laughs) it's not you don't restrict the eating disorder is not an hour a week is it Mm. that's there all the time so recovery also has to be there all the time Mm, yeah absolutely and I guess as well when you're saying all in because I think as well sometimes when in sort of society and with YouTube videos and stuff we think of all in as the sort of nutrition piece of things but I guess when you're talking about all in you're talking about all in in terms of everything aren't you <laughs> the psychology yeah. the emotions the food absolutely the body yeah. <laughs> yeah completely yeah. because it's all interrelated isn't it it's all completely it's mm. a part of a big picture the food actually was quite a small part of it in the end. Yeah, no, sure. Absolutely. It's not about food. It's about feelings. It's very true. <laughs> so can you talk as well, Julia, about the sort of nutritional side of it? Because I think, obviously, it is a really important part, isn't it? Particularly if you're recovering from anorexia nervosa and you're wanting to experience those benefits sort of physically and mentally to the brain in terms of being able to then engage more with the psychological side of things. So, you know, when you said as well, I don't know how much you want to share with this, but when you went all in on the food, did you very much sort of jump in and sort of like suddenly allow yourself a whole range of things? Or did you kind of do it quite incrementally with a meal plan so that it provided a bit more safety or a mixture of the two? So rather than a meal plan, I had a meal schedule of like breakfast, snack, lunch, snack, dessert, dinner, dessert, snack. It just felt like so much because I was used to eating once every couple of days. So initially, it would be something really, really small at each time just to start eating regularly. And then I would gradually increase, first of all, started to increase the meals to make them look different from the snacks and then start to increase the snacks and then look at the fear foods and the reasons why they were scary and what that was actually meaning. Because actually a biscuit's not scary. It's not going to bite you. Mm. But it is scary because of what you make it mean. Mm. It was actually looking at all the reasons why I was scared, what they meant underneath. But working out that for each different thing. But mostly the fears, you've got all these foods you're scared of, but the fear is the same for each one. Mm. And I had a bit of an epiphany fairly early on that, I realized that I was terrified all the time anyway. I was just so scared of everything. I couldn't make decisions. I just felt constantly anxious and afraid all the time. So if I was afraid anyway, I might as well just eat because eating was scary, but I was scared anyway. And that made quite a difference when I realized that. Mm, Yeah, no, sure. Well, it sounds like you're quite a helpful revelation, wasn't it? If that's realizing, actually, I'm kind of terrified anyway. So yeah, yeah. I might as well be terrified and take the recovered action. And did you find like, how did you deal with phases perhaps of being extremely hungry? Or is that something you experienced in your recovery when you're on that kind of weight restoration journey? Yes, it took quite a while. It took me probably... I hadn't had hunger signals. I couldn't remember having hunger signals ever. I must have had them when I was young, but I couldn't remember the feeling. And I suppose it was about 
four months in when I was getting this really weird feeling and I didn't know what it was. And I actually messaged Victoria going, I've got this really weird feeling. She was like, oh my God, you're hungry. (laughs) (laughs) And then once the hunger signals actually started to kick back in, then I was really hungry. And it was kind of like wanting to eat, not wanting to eat masses, but wanting to eat so often that I was actually waking up three, four times a night to eat every night for ages. Mm. So yeah, I just ate lots of times. Yeah, no, sure. And I think it's just a helpful just to hear you say that out loud, because I think it can feel like you're eating all the time, can't it, in recovery? And it can feel Absolutely. a bit, yeah, a bit overwhelming, or it's too much, or you're worried about what the people are going to think. Or, But I think it's just so validating for you to say that out loud, really. It's kind of a normal, healthy part of the recovery process, isn't it, to need to eat frequently? It is. I remember saying to Victoria, before the hunger signals had come back in, saying that I don't see how the hunger signals are ever going to come back when you're making me eat so many times a day that I'm always full. So how am I ever going to feel hungry? And she's like, you will, it'll come back. Just be patient, just keep going. And she's absolutely right, it did come back. And other things came back that I hadn't really experienced before. And emotions, once I'd started to learn how to feel them, came back. A lot of that was really hard and really difficult to deal with. But on the flip side, I discovered that I had never been truly happy. I'd never felt joy. I'd never felt love. I knew intellectually that my husband's loved me, but I've never felt it. So all these things that come back, you've got the difficult stuff, but the flip sides are absolutely incredible that you just don't realize what you've missed. Mm. Yeah, and I think, again, just so helpful um, for you to say that out loud. So I think an eating disorder, it numbs emotions, doesn't it? But it numbs all the emotions. Like you miss the excitement, the joy, the contentment, the love, the inspiration, as well as perhaps the more difficult emotions that you're trying to avoid. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't realise, I didn't realise that you could feel so good and that you could feel love in your heart. I just thought it was like an intellectual thing that, oh, yeah, someone says they love you. Hmm, That means they're going to be loyal to you. But I'd never felt it. And it feels incredible. Mm. So I'm imagining as well, this has probably like changed your relationship with your husband for the better, like, hasn't it? Incredibly, this whole recovery journey. So much. So much. Yeah. More than you can imagine, quite honestly. Yes, so much. Obviously, other feelings I didn't have either and that I now do. And yeah, our relationship is so much better. Mm. Oh, you know, it's lovely to hear that. I think it's um, just wonderful. I'm sure he must be so thrilled to see you at the other side of this or, you know, coming out the other side of this as well. Yeah, he is. He's super proud of me. Oh. So, Julia, can you talk as well a bit about the emotional side? Because, of you know, as we were talking about before, like the sort of tidal wave of emotion that we would understandably expect after some emotional suppression for so long. So I'm imagining for you in recovery, you probably would have had a lot of meltdowns, crying, feeling just absolute overwhelm, terror, rage. (laughs) I mean, is that right? (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. Because I'd never felt a feeling and I'd always pushed them away. The first time I actually just sat with the feeling, which is something that I didn't know you could do, I was so scared. I mean, that was one feeling I did have throughout my life was fear. But no, I was super, super scared. And I just sat there and 
I just started to cry and I hadn't cried for 40 years and I cried for ages and ages and ages and then afterwards I was like no I don't like crying it gives you a headache makes your eyes really sore and then I cried again and then I cried the next day and then it just started to feel like releasing and then I could start to feel other things and I could start to feel angry and then I felt angry at all I'd missed out on all the life I'd not lived because of the eating disorder and then you start to accept that and it was just amazing to know that actually all a feeling wants to do is be felt and once you feel it it kind of goes away and I think again it's just really validating for people to hear this out loud because I think you know many people are just very very scared of their emotions and I think the trouble is what often happens when we bottle up our emotions then we do have this big outpouring And then we tend to think, oh, you see, emotions are just unbearable, unmanageable. I need to suppress them because they're too much. Whereas it sounds like for you, you know, you kind of kept going, didn't you? You kind of like allowed yourself to just feel what you needed to feel. And actually, over time, you started to kind of like clear them out and you started to really get the benefit of almost like releasing them. And also you were then able to experience some of the other emotions like kind of joy or happiness or contentment and really feel those on a deep heartfelt level. Yes. Yeah. So much. And there was lots of things I did to help release some of the emotions. Like I went down to an abandoned bit of beach, a pebbly beach that nobody goes there because it was fenced off, but I went there anyway and just threw pebbles into the sea and just literally, I was so angry at that point and I'd never really felt anger. I'd didn't think I did feel anger and I got this overwhelming anger and I was just screaming and hurtling every swear word you can imagine with these stones into the sea mainly at my dad and afterwards I just felt so calm just like that that had needed to come out for so many years and once you can start clearing out the backlog of emotions I suppose then you do have more room to start feeling all the good emotions and start letting the light in, I suppose. Yeah, no, it's so true. Yeah, it's just so heartwarming, I think, just hear your story. Because I just think, I just love it when I hear about people just fully getting back in touch with themselves and fully doing that kind of, you definitely did go all in, didn't you, to that healing. (laughs) That's what it's all about. (laughs) I did, and it was so worth it to learn self-compassion and to learn how to love myself, and to learn that actually I do have worth, and I am good enough, and I am a valuable member of society. Everything is just so different. I don't feel like I'm on the outside in a little frosted glass dome looking at the rest of the world anymore. I'm fully a part of it. Everything's in colour now. It's not black and white. Yeah, no, that's wonderful to hear. And I'm guessing, you know, like the kind of self-love part, the self-compassion, kind of thinking of finding your voice and, you know, who you are. I mean, after years of being in an eating disorder, you know, coming out the other side of that, I would imagine you probably had a bit of an identity crisis and just not knowing who you were, what you like. It must have been lovely on some respects, but also incredibly challenging as well, just to sort of start to question all of those things and get to know yourself maybe for the very first time. Yes, that was one of the things I was actually really quite scared of was that well, who would I be without the eating disorder? And I didn't know. I had no idea. And so yeah, learning who I was was really scary and really fun. And I'm still learning. I learn every day. I learn new things about myself. And I'm quite excited to learn them all now. 
I also had to learn what I liked and what I disliked and even what foods I liked. I didn't even know what I liked to eat. And so, yeah, it's been a complete learning experience of who I am, what I like, what I don't like, learning to set boundaries because I never had any of them at all. But what you want does come out, even if you don't know what it is. As you start to give it space to develop and you stop the restriction and you just start allowing yourself to live, what you like naturally starts to come out. Mm, yeah, no, it's so wonderful to hear, isn't it? I think for anyone listening as well who's feeling just a bit terrified and overwhelmed about how all of this could be possible, I think it's very true, isn't it? When Once we start to do that healing work and we start to sort of slow down and we kind of just give ourselves space just to be we do start to get back in touch with who we once were maybe or even just rediscovering ourselves for the very first time and um, that can be a really wonderful experience can't it and it's never too late to do that. It's never too late not at all anybody can recover if they really want to it's not too late and you've not been in the eating disorder too long there is always hope there's always a chance. Mm. So Julia, you now offer kind of coaching support to people who are struggling themselves with um, anorexia, orthorexia or exercise addiction. Is that right? It is, yes. So if someone is keen to work with you or wants to perhaps get in touch with you, where is the best place for people to find you and make that connection? Okay, I have a website, which is juliadrahane.com. Instagram, which is at juliadrahane. I also have my own podcast, Flight of Freedom, which I have do solo pods and guest interviews. You have just through Instagram or my website. I also am currently offering people who haven't really heard of recovery coaching, and I'm not entirely sure what it is, the opportunity to have a week's try to see how they get on and what they think of coaching and whether it's right for them. Because obviously everybody is different and everybody has different needs. Oh, yeah, well, that sounds like wonderful for people. So I'm sure you'll have some people taking you up on that. I'll make sure, Julia, that that information is in the show notes. Thank you. That's great. So, Julia, what would you say as well to anyone who's listening today, who's just really feeling very desperate and stuck and perhaps has been stuck in an eating disorder for a long time? What sort of message would you pass on to them? That asking for help is not a weakness. Showing your vulnerability is actually a strength and inherently most people are good and will want to help you. It's okay to be where you are, but there is a really incredible future that awaits you if you just want to grab someone's hand and take that first step. Hey, I think wonderfully like comforting and inspiring words. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, well, thank you so much, Julia. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. I really appreciate you for sharing so openly. And I think, you know, just to inspire so much hope about what is possible. And I think you, you know, incredibly inspiring how you absolutely dived in the deep end head first with your recovery. Actually, felt you had no other choice. (laughs) I didn't Um, feel there was any other option. No, (laughs) If I was going to do it, I was going to do it. Yeah. So sure. Yeah, well, I guess, you know, you lived with the awful disorders for all that time. But it sounds like actually now you're coming out the other side, you're sort of in your self-loving, self-compassionate, authentic place. And you're, you know, rediscovering more of yourself every day. But I think 
as well what's incredible is now that you're giving back to the world in so many ways and you know you're going to be able to support you know many people to heal and that is just wonderful so um thank you so much and what an inspiration you are oh thank you I really appreciate that and thank you so much for having me on it's been such a great opportunity to raise awareness thanks Julia So I hope you enjoyed this conversation just as much as I did. Do go and check out all of Julia's details in the show notes. If you're not following me already, do seek me out on Instagram at the eating disorder therapist underscore. And for further support with your relationship with food, do go to the eating disorder therapist.co.uk. If you enjoy this podcast and you want more, even more episodes, you can join my eating disorder Patreon membership, which is only £5 a month can try it for a week for free first and the link to that is in the show notes if you're interested. If you enjoy this podcast as well, I would be so grateful if you would follow, rate and review as it helps it reach so many more listeners. Thank you so much for listening today and I look forward to sharing another podcast episode with you very soon. Mm -hmm.